McShane Bible Study, Day 169, and Deuteronomy 23 is a lot of various laws, and, and they mostly have to do with keeping keeping the ways of the Lord holy, keeping the people and the place of the people of the Lord holy. And um, it's a lot of different laws. I'm not going to go about talking about them. The one thing that's interesting to me is 15 and 16. You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst in the place that he shall choose within one of your towns. Wherever it suits him, you shall not wrong him. I wonder if this implies that this is a slave escaping a foreign people because the law had strict rules around slavery and it was it was allowed slavery was allowed in that time and you know they had to be given up after seven years and there, there's all these rules around it but here you're saying if a slave escapes that he's free well that really messes up the other rules right so my guess is this applies to foreigners slaves but I'm just totally guessing. I'm, I'm, I'm asking a question more than anything. Um, but that's all I have to say about that. Next, we're looking at Psalm 112 and 113. So 112 is an acrostic poem. We lose, what does that mean? It means every line of the poem starts with the, the next letter of the alphabet. So it'd be like if we wrote a poem in English, it would start, the first line would start with A, the second line would start with B, the third line would start with C. We lose that in translation because we have a different alphabet. Most of the lines start with T. Yeah. <laughs> so, we, you know, we lose that, but that just so you know, that's, that's how it is. And, and this first one is a, uh, and there's, there's more than that in, in scripture. I'm trying to think if there are all the Psalms or maybe some other books too. I want to say Song of Songs might have a bit like that, but I'm probably wrong. I don't know. Um, but this is a, a wonderful psalm talking about how blessed are people who walk in the ways of the Lord. It starts out, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. So it goes on. It's only a 10-verse uh, psalm. And it... It, it reads, it, it first part, you might read, oh, that means just everything good happens. But then you read in 6 and six through 8, it says, For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. So it's not saying that there's no bad news, but it's saying his heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. So it just talks about what is it, what does a man look like? Who's blessed? What does a person look like who's blessed in the Lord? And what is, um, what does that life look like? And so it's just a cool, we can get hung up and say, well, sometimes bad things happen to good people. Well, you're not understanding the true meaning of blessing. Um, God's ways are above our ways. And he never promises that there's not difficulties. He uses the difficulties to train us and grow us. But as our heart changes to become more like his, we appreciate opportunities to grow rather than grumbling about things not going our way, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, and then Psalm 113 is, is another short psalm, and this one is all about how great is our God. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord, um, which is just always good to... 
praise the Lord. Okay, and then Isaiah 50 starts out, Thus says the Lord, Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? So he divorced Israel, right? God, so this idea of the bride of Christ, that's not new in the Bible. That's from the Old Testament of Israel and Judah being God's bride, right? Israel originally was just one country, and then it split apart into two. So when we talk about, as we have been in Revelation, these two churches, the good and the bad, the false church and the true church, um, that's actually an Old Testament idea that has come to fuller fruition in in the prophecy of the end times. And so when God talks about, you know, utterly destroying Babylon, who no longer represents him, but uses his name, that's not the first time he's done it. And, and you could certainly argue it's not even the second time he's done it. Um, and so, he, you know, he's talking about divorcing Israel. He had Assyria conquer Israel at this point, you know, and, uh, and, but some of the, but as we talked about, when we talked about those verses, did people stream out of Israel into Judah? Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, so the thing, the institution was corrupt and unredeemable. Um, but that doesn't mean individuals within it were not redeemable. And so mm-hmm. they did stream out. Um, specifically, a lot of Levites are mentioned streaming out, but others too streamed out into Judah because they said, wait a minute, we want to go the way of God. We don't want to go this other way. And so, um, you know, he talks about their iniquities, their transgressions. Uh, Your mother was sent away to why when I came, was there no man? Why when I called, was there no one to answer? So he's saying, you've you've turned away from me, your husband, your God. And what did you replace it with? A bunch of nothing. Like you went your own way. You no longer have a husband to help make you a full unit, right? To help take care of you, to help, um, you know, you, how can you have a family without a husband or a wife? You, I, mean, I mean, you know, okay, in real life, sometimes people die and it's just, it's sad and that's just the way it is. And, and you, you go on. Um, uh, other times people, before they've come to the Lord, that this is the reality and, and they make do the best they can. But none of those things was God's intention, mm-hmm. right? They're supposed to be a husband. They're supposed to be a wife, which leads to kids. That's, mm-hmm. that's a family, right? And so he says, if, if you as a nation are the bride, but you've left me, your husband, what are you without me? It says, is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem or have I no power to deliver? So he's saying, I, look, I can pull you I'm, to anyone who listens. I can pull you out of this. Behold, by my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. Uh, in verse four, it says, the Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught. So he's, he's switched now from God speaking to, you know, Isaiah speaking for himself or for us or for, you know, uh, Jesus, whatever. The, the, the speaker has changed. You see that? The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. 
Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. So now we see a people who are awakened. They say, wait a minute, this, this old way, this doesn't work for me anymore. I want to, I want to learn from those who are taught by the Lord. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backwards. So he's spoken to me and I said, yes, I will go your way, God. Six, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Then Jesus kind of quote this, not exactly, but he kind of said, if someone hits you in the cheek, give them the other cheek to hit, right? That's what Isaiah is saying here. Uh, skipping down to nine. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Um, Hebrews quotes this line twice. I just looked it up because I was trying to place it. Uh, Chapter 1 and chapter 11, Hebrews quotes this, wearing out like a garment, right? 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So he's calling about you who are in darkness. God brings about darkness so that people can re. Let me rephrase that. God brings about a more severe darkness so that people can realize they're in darkness and seek the light. You see that? When there's not huge distinction between light and darkness, far too many people think they're in the light, but they're really walking in darkness. But when the darkness becomes severe, the light becomes Mm -hmm. obvious and compelling, right? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold. So first of all, he's saying for you in the darkness, turn to the Lord, turn to the light. And then 11 shifting. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. So those who have a torch, help those who need the light, right? That more torches are built, more light, that the growth of the God's kingdom spreads even amidst the darkness. And we're wrapping up in Revelation 20. It's a pretty heavy chapter. And I I have way more questions than I have answers about this. And I also don't concern myself too much with it. Um, There's people that get so caught up in trying to figure exactly what this stuff means out. What this stuff figure out what this stuff means um and they just get off track because that's not what you know jesus said when they questioned him about things not even as intricate as this he said look that's for the father to know the time i'm not sitting around worrying about that i'm doing what the father's doing so i don't spend a lot of time if you if you if you're not taught by the Lord and you're spending too much time just reasoning out what you think something is, there's a really good chance you're getting off track and not coming to the right answers. So it's a grand delusion on yourself, right, or the enemy on you. Um, so you know I can throw out thoughts, um, which I have some, and so we see an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hands the keys to the bottomless pit in a great chain, and he sees the dragon, so that's the devil, right? The ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. 
So Satan is bound. Is is every principality and power and authority and demon under him bound, or just Satan? Doesn't say, does it? Um, but there's a thousand years where Satan's not in control of this world. If they're all bound, then I would imagine this world will become pretty wonderful. However, mankind's tendency to go his own way is still there. So the flesh is not dealt with in everyone, but the flesh is much easier to deal with, I would assume, for those who love the Lord and are wanting to grow in the Lord because the deceptions of the enemy are gone, right? Now, if if simply Satan's gone, but but the rest of his authority are not, I, I to me, I've always read it like all of his... All of his underlings are gone too because that would just make sense. But it doesn't say that. Um, if they're still around, then I would imagine it would be not quite so glorious, but probably a lot better because the head's been cut off the snake, right? Um, and so he's gone for a thousand years. So did this happen when most people assume Jesus is walking around the earth as a man at that point, and, and that yeah. certainly might be true. I, I don't have a strong feeling on this. But is it possible that just as so many things that Jesus has already accomplished were done in the Spirit, that this is done in the Spirit, and his people are reigning for a thousand years? Either way, his people, because it goes on to say that, either way, his people are reigning with him. But is he reigning through his people and he's not yet come down in the flesh? I, I could very well see that being true. Um, verse 4, Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. So see, he's given authority to judge to these others. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been redeemed. And if you think about Israel, how it was set up, when God first set up Israel, he didn't place a king. He wanted to be king, and he appointed judges. And when the people demanded a king, he said, this is not the way I want it for you. I want to be your king, and I will appoint judges for you. Trust in me. But they demanded a king, and so then, you know, first Saul and Solomon, I mean, David and Solomon, and then it split up. Um, but God's God's plan was simply judges. He is the king, not visible, but very much in charge, right? Um, and so he see, we see here he's giving authority to judge to others. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life with Christ for a thousand years. So most people assume that means literally beheaded. Maybe it does. Maybe that means those who have totally given up the ways of the world, the ways of thinking the way the world thinks, and they have allowed themselves to be transformed by the mind of Christ. So they no longer operate by their old head. They now operate by the head, which is Christ. He is, he is the head of his body, right? And we are in it. And so those who have given up, and then it's more explicit in that next part where it says, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads and their hands. So forehead, again, as I've said, how you think, hand, what you do. Those two things make up a lot of who we are in this world, right? How we think, 
what we do, right? So those who have been beheaded have totally given up those ways. And those who have simply refused to act and think the way the world acts and thinks, right? They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's pretty cool, right? And does that mean they all live a thousand years? I kind of read that way, but maybe it's a people and the people still continue to live and die. But as a people, they reign a thousand years where for the first time ever, the culture of God and his kingdom is being passed on through multi-generations and the glory and the wisdom and the love of God is prospering throughout people, throughout generations. I could very well see that being true, right? I've never heard anyone say a couple of things I'm saying I've never heard anyone else say, but they seem reasonable to me. What I won't do, or I try not to do, because the Lord warned me years ago, is assuming I know something just because I heard it taught or because um, of any idea I had, which some of these ideas I think might be from the Lord, but I'm not, it wasn't so strong that I'm going to stand on a stump and, and, and shout that this is the truth, right? Five, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. So this isn't the end, right? This was the first resurrection. Blessed and holy. So there there were saved people who are not coming to life at this point. And and again, is this people that have simply passed before? Or people, there was a great resurrection of people who died long ago have come to life, but not everyone just those who are fully committed to the Lord. Six, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So priests of God, the order of Melchizedek, right? Kings and priests. Reigning is a king. Priest of God is obviously a priest. So we see this order that's talked about throughout the Bible from beginning to end coming to the fullness of reality. And then skipping down, we see Satan's defeated in a second battle. And um, we see judgment before the throne, right? And I just, I'm not reading all this, but verse 12 says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. A lot of people think it's purely reasonable that if God was a good God, then when we got before the judgment seat, we could just talk our way in. This very clearly says that is not the case. That when we get before the judgment seat, we're judged based on how we lived our life, not based on uh, if we can talk a good talk at that last, you know, at that last minute, right? Now, I I do believe that the Lord... uh, uh, appears to people. I think there's biblical evidence of this, especially people who have never had the chance to accept the Lord throughout history uh, or in other parts of the world where he's not known. I believe the Lord shows up and they get an opportunity. I believe everyone gets an opportunity. But there, there comes a time and a place where the fullness of this reality sets upon us and the judgment is done based on what we chose during our life. That's very clear here in verse 12. Verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. So, oh, I I highlighted that because it's interesting. So the dead are housed in two places, the sea 
and death in Hades. Death in Hades sounds worse than the sea. The What's sea, death in Hades? Usually people translate that as hell. I've heard other people argue it's not exactly the same thing. It's more like a in-between land. Um, death is obviously just death. Um, but the sea usually references the mass. And even earlier in this book, it referenced the mass of humanity. Um, I, I, my understanding has always been once you die, you're out of time. Time is a construct by God to bring about his purposes through mankind and creation. And once you die, you're out of time, which means you're immediately to the the judgment seat. Right? Mm -hmm. Now, if you're coming back into that first resurrection and you're coming back to life at that point, well, then you're immediately coming back there. That's that's always been my understanding. I, I think that's makes the most sense. But... I don't know. This verse 13 makes that maybe kind of, maybe there's something else going on here. I just, again, more questions than answers today, but these are interesting chapters, don't you think? Mm-hmm. All right, well, that's all I have for today. God bless you for listening. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.